Well, welcome to our service here tonight. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 16 and 17. I titled this from chapter 16, titling it El-Rohi. El-Rohi is Hebrew for the God who sees. And this actually connected to Hagar, who becomes the handmaid of Sarah and then becomes the wife of Abraham, giving birth to Ishmael. And so we're going to learn about that here in chapter 16. And then we're going to have God speaking to Abraham again, confirming his covenant and this time giving him the sign of the covenant that God was giving to the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, that sign being that of circumcision. We'll learn about that in chapter 17. So tonight looking at, well, here in chapter 16, we find that it had been a few years since Abraham had come out of Egypt. He went there because of famine, and while he was there, he got in trouble. He came out, though, a wealthy man, and we had mentioned that even after he came out of Egypt, his trouble continued with Lot, his nephew, when it was necessary for the two to separate because their livestock, the land couldn't hold the two together in one location because of the great livestock that Abraham and his nephew Lot had. They needed to separate. Abraham was gracious, giving Lot his choice. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 13:10 that Lot lifted his eyes and he saw the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Here we find, though, Abraham had gotten out of Egypt. Egypt did not get out of Abraham, at least dealing with situations that arose as a result of his spending time in Egypt. In the Bible, when we talk about Egypt, we think of the world, that he had went into the world. He went to the world for aid, for help. And while he was in the world, he picked up baggage that his nephew Lot just couldn't get out of his mind, saying that he looked over the plain of the Jordan before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We haven't learned about that yet in Scripture. It's coming. But just west of the Dead Sea, is the area where David hid from King Saul called Engedi, and it is like a little paradise there. And so we have a glimpse of what the land might have looked like when Lot looked over that land and how beautiful it was before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We get a glimpse of that in Engedi. It's just northwest of the Dead Sea there and, and really a tropical paradise, waterfalls coming down and uh, you can hike back in there, and there's the caves of En Gedi that David and his men hid in. We can find those places today. But also we find that Abraham picked up a maidservant that would again continue to just cause issues in his household. But we find in this chapter, in chapter 16 and as we've been going through Genesis, I've been looking at key verses. And to me, a key verse is in verse 13, 
where it says, And then she, Hagar, called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her and said, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? You are the God who sees. El Roi, Roi, um, the Hebrew, the God who sees. And we're going to look at that tonight. So let's go ahead and open in prayer and ask God to bless the teaching of his word. We thank you, Father, for your work in our midst. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who sees. And Lord, for Hagar and her future son, Ishmael, you are the God who not only rescued, but also brought her instructions on how she should guide her life. So, Father, you not only saw her situation, but you also gave her direction. And, Lord, we thank you that you see to this day. And, Lord, that you can give us direction in our lives as well. When we get distracted in this life, in the world, when we get off course, Lord, we thank you that you're watching over us. So be with us, Lord, as we look at your word this evening. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we discover a surrogate mother, verses 1 through 3. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain a child by her. She actually said children, so plural. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So here we find a timestamp as well. In Genesis chapter 12, we learn that Abraham was 75 years old when the Lord called him out of his homeland to a country that the Lord would show him, calling him to the promised land. He was 75 years old and promised him that he would bless him with offspring and that he would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And 10 years later, still no son, still no child. In fact, in chapter 15, Abram complained to the Lord about not having an heir. And then the Lord promised and said, Eliezer of Damascus, his servant, his head servant, would not be your heir, that you shall have a son. Now, Sarai, if Abraham is now 85 years old, Sarah is 75 years old. And maybe she had come to terms with the idea that (laughs) I'm never going to have a son. I'm kind of past the age. And that's the point with the Lord. He gets him to that place where it's beyond human possibility to show that it is the work of the Lord that he was desiring to do. But quite often when the Lord gives us a word and then in the process of finding that word come to a reality, we find that we find ourselves in this holding pattern, this weight. The Lord called me to preach when I was in my late 20s. I think I was 28 years old when the Lord put that call on my heart to preach the gospel. And I've been sharing his word and part of a Christian band for 10 years prior to that. But the Lord put the call upon my heart 
And it would be 11 years before I'd become the pastor of this fellowship. There was a holding pattern. There was a, a waiting time. There was learning and trusting and growing that had to take place. And I'm still learning and trusting and growing in my faith, even to this day. But Sarah decided to give God a helping hand. And that is our problem a lot of times when we feel that we know the direction God would have us to go and we're in that holding pattern and we're waiting. Sometimes we try to give the Lord a helping hand and it's not part of his plan at all. She decided to give God a helping hand by giving her maid, Hagar, to Abram as a wife that she might bear a son on Sarah's behalf. And we find here again the example of this lingering troubles that came out of Egypt. Although Abraham was no longer in Egypt, no longer in the world, and in the Bible Egypt is a representation of the world, it was hard to get the world out of Abraham's family, out of his life. And here we find Sarah had an Egyptian maidservant, and we do know that while they were there, that in Genesis 12:16 it tells us that Pharaoh treated Abram well for Sarah's sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. And so they picked up male and female servants while they were in Egypt. And most likely, Hagar came from that transaction. And although Abram came out of Egypt with great riches, the influences of Egypt never completely got out of Abram's life and his family. And we can find a similar way as Christians. The influences of this world, they're hard to get out of our lives and or our thought processes. So we might ask the question, what are we to do as children of God, as people of faith? Well, it's one of the reasons I named my radio ministry the Cleansing Word. We have to not only come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, but continue to grow in our faith to allow ourselves to be washed by the water of God's word, as it tells us in Ephesians 5:26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. That Jesus Christ sanctifying and cleansing his church through the washing of the water by the word. This is what Jesus Christ does for his bride. And we have a responsibility to allow the word of God to wash us and to help get those influences of the world out of our minds. That we would be more reflective of the work that Jesus is now currently doing in our lives. So she decided, well, I need a surrogate mother. Someone can bear a child in my behalf. Obviously, God's not going to give me a child. And so it was. Abraham listened to his wife. Usually that's a good thing, guys. But probably not in this situation. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she, speaking about Hagar, saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And so Hagar began to look down with contempt upon Sarai. And so Sarai, verse 5, said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. Abram listened to his wife, and now she comes back and blames him that her plan worked. This is what she wanted. 
for Hagar to bear a child. Her plan worked, but now it's backfired. My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. And so Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So after Hagar conceived, she began to despise her mistress. And although she was a servant turned wife, she was still a servant. And unless something had changed, Hagar's son then would become the heir of Abraham's estate. So after Sarai confronted Abram with the situation, he allowed her. He said, she's your maid. She's in your control. Do what you think best. And Sarai's reaction reminded me of a quote by William Congrave. Here's the quote. We get a little snippet of it. We know the snippet more than the actual quote. So first, the actual quote. Heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned nor hell a fury like a woman scorned, which often is quoted, hell has no fury like a woman's scorn. So hell has no rage like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman scorned. And Sarai, being scorned, feeling that she had been scorned, began to deal harshly with her maid, which caused Hagar to flee into the wilderness. So she was in trouble now. Again, she perhaps began to act. She was a lesser wife, a lesser bride in the household of Abraham. Sarai was still the head of that household in that sense. But she knew it was time to get out. Solomon would write Proverbs 21:19, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And Sarai became this contentious and angry woman. And Hagar said, I'm out of here. Well, while she was in the wilderness, she was found by God. In verses 7 through 12, it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of the water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So once in the wilderness, Hagar found that she was not alone. It tells us repeatedly here in verses 7 through 12. Let's see, we have... One, two, three, four, 
Five times, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Five times we read the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh appeared to her. We have a possibility of a Christophany once again, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. In Luke 19, 9 and 10, the Lord Jesus would say, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And if this is truly a Christophany of Jesus Christ and Hagar there in the wilderness trying to escape the difficulties of the circumstance that she had found herself in, then Christ, as he said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man had come to seek and to save that which is lost. A beautiful picture of the work of Jesus Christ in our own lives today. How the angel of the Lord brought her comfort, but also prophesied concerning her child, telling her that she would have a son, what that son's name should be, and what kind of man he would become. Ishmael means God hears. And so the angel of the Lord told Hagar some of the characteristics of Ishmael. In Genesis 21:20, so God was with the lad, and he grew and he dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And so we'll see a little bit of the development of Ishmael as we continue in the book of Genesis. And then we find verses 13 through 16. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees El-Rohi in the Hebrew. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have also here seen him who sees me. Therefore, the well where she was at, that spring, that water supply, Ber Laharohi, it's there, it tells us, between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So after hearing the angel's proclamation, Hagar broke out in praise. She obediently returned to Sarai, put herself in that same situation that she had fled from. And sometimes we, we just have to endure troubling situations until we can get ourselves out of it or have the Lord show and open other doors just causing me to remember a time when I had, uh, in one year's time as a brick mason, I would end up with nine W-2 forms. And so I went through a lot of employers that year. And it wasn't fun to be in that situation, but it was a situation that I also put myself in. You know, I'd I'd work usually until the job was finished. And once the job was finished, often there's, when you work with any brick mason company, they have their boys, the guys that go with them wherever they go. And then they have the extra guys they hire on. And for a season, I was no longer one of the boys. I was one of the extras. And at the end of the year, the Lord had provided. It was actually a very good year for us 
but it was a challenging year. In the process of those nine employers, we had one who was bouncing checks on us that also made it challenging for us. And it was so bad that we, as his employees, would get our paychecks and run to his bank to cash the checks. And one time we walked in the bank doors and one of the tellers said, no money here today, boys. And it's like, you don't even know who we are, but they did. They knew that we were coming in because this guy had just a bad reputation. He lied to my face. Again, it was a bad situation. Then I was moved to a different job and his foreman just did not like me. And I stayed in what was, for me, a very bad and difficult time because we had responsibilities, had a wife and children that depended on me. And it would be that the Lord would open doors. After that time, doors would be open for me to go to another company that they originally hired me to be the future of their company. And yet that too didn't work out. And I ended up getting laid off from that situation. And finally, at the very end of it, I found the guy that I would stay with until I was done laying brick. And then I would just finish my time as a brick mason with him. Sometimes we have to stick out difficult situations. The Lord didn't change her circumstances. He called her to go back into the same circumstance that would be and prove to be very difficult for her. And yet God watched over her. She knew that God saw the circumstance that she was in. And sometimes that's all we need to know is that God sees. That God is there, that we can cry out to the Lord. And that God is working out his plan, even though at times we can't see exactly what that plan is going to look like. So after hearing the angel's proclamation, she broke out in praise. She returned to Sarai and bore Abram his first son. And later we would discover that this son would be the work of the flesh, as Paul would write about Abraham having two sons in Galatians 4, verses 22 and 23, saying Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, Hagar, and the other by a free woman, his wife, Sarai. But he who was of the bond was born according to the flesh, and he who was of the free woman according to the promise. So God was working on his plan. Sarai tried to give God a helping hand. Her folly caused friction in her relationship with her husband, her household, and her descendants. And this friction would continue on and maybe is still continuing on to this day with the children of Israel and the surrounding nations being descendants also, many of them, of Abraham through Ishmael. As I thought about this chapter, I realized that much of what happened to Hagar was beyond her control. I doubt that she wanted to, when I grow up, I want to be a slave girl. I doubt that that's what she wanted for her life. And yet, as a slave, she ended up being in the household of Abram. And then she was given to her master as a wife and to bear him a son for her mistress. So technically, 
her son would have belonged to Sarah. She was a surrogate mother, even though it was her son. And although all these things happened, they were beyond her control. Hagar learned that the God of Abraham even watches over young slave girls. And perhaps there have been things in our own life that have been thrust upon us, thrust upon me, thrust upon you, that have made our lives difficult. And sometimes we might want to feel like we just want to flee into the wilderness. But take courage and remember that God is El-Rohi, the God who sees. He watches over us in every situation. In fact, the psalmist later on would write in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, saying, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. And finally, when I think about El-Rohi, the God who sees, I am reminded of the work that Jesus did upon the cross. God, knowing the condition of our sins, when he said to Noah, after Noah came off the ark, he said, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living thing as I have done. See, the thing we learn about in Genesis chapter 6, and then again we have it repeated in Genesis chapter 8, that the condition of man's heart didn't change. God destroyed the earth the first time with the flood because the condition of man's heart was only evil continually. And then after the flood, we find that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. The condition of man's heart, because we are sinful creatures fallen, descendants of Adam and Eve, even though that hasn't changed, God, because of his great love toward us, the God who sees, knowing the condition of our sins, he sent his only begotten son in our behalf. As Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. May we never forget that El-Rohi, in seeing our plight, sent Jesus that we might be saved. He is the God who sees. So we find Abram in chapter 17, well, he finally gets his new name, as does Sarai. So from here on out, I can say their names correctly, as we best know them as Abraham and Sarah. That all happens here in Genesis chapter 17. So the new names in Genesis 17:5, key verse, no longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And then in verse 15, God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And so the new names that they received in the Bible Names have significance so often, especially in the Old New Testament. We find 
especially in the Old Testament, the names themselves had so much meaning toward the individuals. Like the name Methuselah, which could mean like a javelin, or when it is over, it will come. Methuselah, the longest living man recorded in the Bible, if you calculate the timeline out there, you will discover that Methuselah died the year of the flood. His name, like a javelin. So God threw a javelin, prophecy that the earth would be destroyed one day. And for 900 and I forget how many years he lived, longest living man, the javelin finally came down at the flood. Could be like Noah. Noah's name meant rest. And it was desire of the parents, what they desired through their son, that the Lord would give us rest because of the toil and the work that resulted from the fall. Sometimes they got it wrong. Rachel, when she was dying, after having a difficult childbirth right before she died, she named her son that she had just given birth to Ben-Oni, meaning son of my sorrow. That would be horrible to grow up as a young lad and boy have a name that reflects the fact that because of your birth, your mom died. I mean, we know that that happens, but thankfully Jacob interceded and said, no, that's not going to be his name. Benjamin, son of my right hand, that's a better name for him. So in this chapter, the Lord gives Abram and Sarai new names to reflect his plan for their lives. In verses 1 and 2, we meet God Almighty. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. After being in the promised land for 24 years, when Abram was 99 years old, God declared to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. This really reminds me of a child uh, walking before his father or his mother with the realization that mom or dad, they're keeping an eye on me. They're watching me as a parent. If we were out and about at a park with a bunch of people around in a crowded shopping mall, anywhere out in life, you know, the kids walked before me. I didn't have to say it. I just did it. I made sure that they were in my sight, that I could keep an eye on them, that I could be their defense if need be to be their rescue. Abraham was not without sin. For we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but he strived to walk in faith, which resulted in, in Genesis 15, 6, being accounted for righteousness. He believed God and it was accounted for righteousness. And likewise, our relationship with God should impact our lives in all the different areas of our lives, that we walk in such a way that we bring honor to the Lord. In Romans 4, 5, it says, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, 
his faith shall be accounted for righteousness. Just like Abram believed God and it was accounted for righteousness, so too as believers in Jesus Christ, our faith is accounted for righteousness. In a similar way, we need to realize that God is El-Rohi. He is the God who sees. And the Lord also calls us to walk before him. In Galatians 3.18, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And so we too, through the promises of Abraham, are to walk before the Lord. God promises that he would be a father of many nations, verses 3 through 8. So Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, verse 3. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. 6 through 8, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. Kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. That's so important, that phrase, for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. Once again, everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Even to this day, we have people saying that Israel has no right to the land that they find themselves in. They have no right to that place. It belongs to another. And yet God established his everlasting covenant with them and gave the land to them as an everlasting possession. So their argument, they need to then argue with God. God made a covenant with Abram promising to give him his sons and to multiply his descendants to make this covenant with him. And it's a repeated promise. I love this. Abram has been in the land for 24 years now. And we find that there have been those times, Genesis 12, 2, where God said to Abram, I make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. That was the beginning of Abram's relationship with the Lord, this promise from the Lord that the Lord gave him in Genesis 12, 2. And then again, the Lord came to him at another time in Genesis 13, 15, and 16. After he had went down to Egypt and then came back out of Egypt, he's back in the land once again. He said, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Time had passed since the first encounter with the Lord. But the Lord then confirms his covenant with Abraham once again in Genesis 13. Then in Genesis 15, verses 4 and 6, the Lord comes to him another time, saying, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, talking about Eliezer of Damascus, 
but one who comes from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven, count the stars, if you are able, and number them. And he said to him, So your descendants shall be. And verse 6, Genesis 15, 6, And he believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, or righteousness was put on Abraham's account. It had been 24 years, and the Lord again is confirming his covenant with Abraham, his promise to Abraham, and giving him more detail as time goes on. You know, it's good to be reminded of the promises of God toward us. That's why it's so important for us to be washed by the water of God's word, because as we go through the word of God, we find those promises that though they may be applicable to certain people that were written about historically in the Bible, oftentimes they can also be applicable to us. So Abram's name had meant exalted father. And at this point, he finally had become a father with the birth of Ishmael. Now God tells him that he's going to be a father of a multitude. So God changed his name to Abraham. Not just exalted father, but father of a multitude. And Abraham believed God, who can raise the dead, who speaks concerning future events as if they had already happened. God's saying in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. So Abraham's faith It was actually contrary to hope. Maybe there was a small glimmer of hope when Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old when they first began to follow God and they came into the promised land. Maybe at that point they had a glimmer of hope. Maybe Sarah got tired of Abraham reminding her, you know, God said you're going to bear a son. And she's like, oh, they... Oy vey, oy vey, you keep reminding me of this, but I'm never getting pregnant. Ten years later, when Abram was 85, Sarah now 75 years old, they were getting into that place where they were contrary to hope. Yet, this is when Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now at 99 years old and Sarah being 89 years old, Abraham had learned to believe God even though it goes contrary to hope itself. In Romans 4, 16 through 18, it says, Therefore, it is of faith that we might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, speaking about the Jewish people, but also those who are of faith, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, speaking about even the Gentiles who come to faith. Verse 17, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. His name, title, Abraham. In the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead, calls those things which do not exist as though they did, 
who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so your descendants shall be. Abraham believed the Lord, even though it was contrary to hope at this point. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So God said to Abraham, verses 9 through 14, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised the foreskin of the flesh of your foreskins, that it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house, he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. So the mark of circumcision is a reminder of that everlasting covenant that God made with Abraham. Verse 14, And the uncircumcised male child, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. As I was reading that, I was thinking about the first generation, 430 years later, from this time, when the children of Israel would come out of Egypt, they kept, the children of Israel, Abraham's descendants, kept the law of circumcision. But they came out of Egypt 430 years after they went into Egypt. They kept up with circumcising their sons. The circumcision on the eighth day, as Scripture teaches but that first generation that came out of Egypt, they didn't enter into the promised land. Remember, they did not have faith. They roamed in that wilderness. But one of the things they did not do for their children was to circumcise their children. That is just amazing to me. For 430 plus years, they continued to circumcise. Father to son, father to son, father to son the nation of Israel. They still do that to the day. But there was one generation when they entered into the promised land, the Lord said, you guys got to be circumcised now. You, I will not give this land. You can't go forth in battle until you are circumcised. They were probably thinking, couldn't we have done this when we were on the other side of the river? Now we've crossed into enemy territory and now you want to circumcise us? But that was God's plan for them. The Bible tells us in Romans 2.25, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcised. So the cutting away of the flesh, this circumcision, is connected to the Jewish people. It connects the Jewish people to their forefather, Abraham. It's also a reminder not to live after the flesh, but after the things of God. And over time... Many of the Jews came to believe that their fleshly circumcision, along with the keeping of the letter of the law, 
kept them in the right relationship with God. But Paul contends that a true Jew is not those who had an outward evidence of their heritage by that outward sign of circumcision, but those who have allowed God to do an inward work, the circumcision of the hearts. Colossians 2.11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hand by putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Even to this day, we have people within the church, they don't depend on circumcision today in most churches that I know of. But how about baptism? How about church membership? We have our own form of circumcision that becomes a sign of our relationship with Christ, our rite of passage. And although these things can be helpful to help bring someone in a right relationship with God, they can also cause someone to put confidence in their flesh and not in God. Even in the Old Testament, God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah 4.4, circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. Their hearts became hard. Jeremiah prophesied to the people saying, circumcise yourself to the Lord. Take away the foreskin of your hearts. Then God, verses 15 and 16, said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall be from her. Sarai, her name is debated, Sarai. Some think that that name Sarai means contentious. And she, we've seen her in chapter 16 as being contentious. Others would say that her name, no, it didn't mean contentious. It meant my princess. Both agree that Sarah means princess. Sarah would no longer be the princess of a single family, but touch the lives of all the families of the earth through the coming of her child, Isaac, but ultimately through Jesus that would descend through the seed of Abraham. As God promised Abraham in Genesis 12:3, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12 said, By faith, Sarai, I got used to saying it, Sarah, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky. Abram and Sarai received new names to symbolize God's plan for their lives. But Abraham, he laughed. In fact, it said, Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, have you ever fell down laughing? 99 years old, I could just imagine the laughter that came out. He said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And Abram's just calculating it out. Even if Sarah became pregnant right now, 
I would be 100, she would be 90 years old when the child was born. This can't work. Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child. And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So God promised Abraham and Sarah a son of their own, which caused Abraham to laugh. He was satisfied with the work of the flesh. But God has something more in store for him. I think that's something that we can fall guilty of quite often. We can become satisfied with the work of our flesh when all along God has something greater in store for us. Abraham understood that even if Sarah would become pregnant that very night, he would be 100 years old, she would be 90 when their son was born. So instead, he said, may Ishmael live before you. But that would not be. In verses 19 through 22, God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful. I will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes. And I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham laughed, fell on his face in laughter, spoke to himself, but God heard what he said. We're going to find out next week that Sarah will also have a bit of a laughing fit over this. Isaac's name means laughter. And so it was a reminder of the work that God did with two people who were willing to walk in faith with God even in their old age, when it was beyond hope, contrary to hope, they believed God and God showed himself strong. Luke 1, Mary and her song, when she sang out, when hearing of John the Baptist and her own pregnancy, she said in Luke 1, 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. True fulfillment of this everlasting covenant comes through Jesus Christ. God promised to bless Ishmael for Abraham's sake, to make him a fruitful, to multiply his descendants, to give him uh, a similar 12 tribes, 12 princes, to make him a great nation. But God said, my covenant would be established with Isaac, whom Sarah would bear within that year. Romans 9, 6 through 9 says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, Ishmael, the child of flesh. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the...
Though Abram had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, God was working out his eternal purposes by distinguishing between the children of promise and the children of bondage. And finally, verses 23 through 27. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we learned that he had 318 trained soldiers. All the men, all the men who were born in their house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day. (laughs) Abraham did not mess around. Got up from prayer, said, I want all the men to show up. Why? What's going on? You'll find out. You won't like it, but you'll find out. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in his flesh. Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. On that very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael, all the men of his house born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Abraham did not wait until Sarah was pregnant to obey God's command. Let's see if this actually works. Is she actually going to get, I mean, I've been waiting 24 years, Lord. Is it actually going to happen now? No, he followed through the covenant, the sign on that very same day. He, along with Ishmael, along with every male servant, were circumcised. They obeyed the Lord that very day. Circumcision became the seal that God placed upon Abraham because of his faith in the Lord. Today, our seal of faith is not the outward cutting away of the flesh, but the inward cutting away of our hearts, the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To this day, God desires to do a work of the Spirit in each of our lives. And will you commit or circumcise yourselves to the Lord? That is the taking away of the foreskin of our hearts. And by the way, one day, according to the word of the Lord, we too will get new names. In Revelation 2.17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will also give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Father, we thank you for your word that you have given us this night. Thank you, Lord, for the faith of Abraham. I thank you, Father, that we have written from Genesis chapters 12 through 17. We have at least 24 years of Abraham's life recorded. Sarah's as well. And we see them, Lord, sometimes very strong in their faith. Other times, Lord, trying to lend you a helping hand that just causes difficulty in their own lives. I thank you, Lord, that you give us these examples. Because I fear, Lord, that we are much like Father Abraham and Sarah. At times, Lord, we may stand strong in our faith, our commitment to you. At other times, Lord, we may attempt to lend you a helping hand when we don't think you're moving fast enough. 
Help us know, Lord, that you are El-Rohi, the God who sees. Help us know, Lord, that your word is true. Your promises are everlasting covenants given to the children of Israel, but also those promises given to us through Jesus Christ. In him is yes and amen, according to the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that we have become children of Abraham, not through the circumcision of the flesh, but through the circumcision of our hearts, through faith in Jesus Christ. We give you praise this night in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. And if you're listening on the radio tonight, perhaps you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're watching through social media. Or you're going to hear this message at another date. And you know right now that you need to ask the Lord into your heart. Here on Wednesday evenings, we've been going through the ABCs of salvation. And the A stands for admit, that we need to admit to God that we are sinners and ask for his forgiveness. And the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. Ask for his forgiveness. We also need to, the B, we need to believe. Believe in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. His death, burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And to receive that gift of salvation. As we read earlier in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates. It's in present tense. He demonstrates his own love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ dying for us was a past work, but even to this day, God demonstrates his own love toward us through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. You have to believe in Jesus. And the C, you need to confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ, not only before God, but share it with others. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Romans 10:13, a beautiful verse. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you pray to receive Christ tonight or have questions regarding faith and you're not here to speak to me personally, Please email us at CCLV, that stands for Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, CCLV at Comcast.net, CCLV at Comcast.net. This coming Sunday, we continue our journey in the book of Revelation, chapter 8. I titled this message, A Silence in Heaven. Look forward to being with you this Sunday, either live here at the church or uh, through our social media, through our WLGS radio. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.